are listening to Roar, the podcast dedicated to voices from the localization industry, brought to you by translation and localization management students from the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey. We hope you enjoy today's deep dive. Everyone, welcome to this episode of Deep Dive. My name is Andrew Taylor, and I will be your host for this episode, in which we'll be looking into a detailed comparison of the two great halves of this our localization industry, namely the vendor side and the client side. Joining me for this episode is none other than Winnie Heff. Now, Winnie, according to your LinkedIn page alone, you were a director with AT&T for almost four years before you left to join Language Line Solutions, which had recently split off from AT&T to become its own separate company. At LanguageLine, you served for over 20 years, first as a director of product management, and then as a vice president across numerous different executive divisions. During this time, you've seen the localization industry take many forms, and were often a driving force influencing these changes. For the past five years, you've also been directly impacting the future of our industry as a mentor and career advisor to translation, interpretation, and localization students at the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey. However, even before taking this role, you were already a mentor and a consultant to numerous localization professionals from across our industry. The knowledge you've gained from these connections has informed your understanding of the localization ecosystem. And as such, I do believe that you are uniquely qualified to talk in depth about such a comprehensive topic as our industry's twin halves, the client side and the vendor side. Before we begin, however, is there anything else you wanted to add before we got started? Nope, sounds really good. Let's keep going. Okay, then without further ado, let's begin. The very first thing I, I think I wanted to address was, let's jump right into the elephant in the room. Right from the moment that uh, students enter the Middlebury Institute, or indeed I'd say almost when any professional enters the industry, they seem to very quickly become aware of this divide. That people talk will tell you, oh, are you a vendor-side person or a client-side person? Or do you want to become a vendor-side or a client-side? And I would say that more often as not, at least from my experience at the Institute, the majority of people, as they enter this industry, talk about how they want to be on the client side. They seem to desire client-side company. Why do you think this is so? Do you think it is just the brand recognition? Or are there other aspects that divide these two sides of our industry that you think impact that decision? So I think it boils down to the perceived differences in working conditions. And more specifically, there are three areas. Name recognition compensation, and perceived power dynamics. Mm -hmm. So in terms of name recognition, I think thanks to the good work of colleagues in the last couple of decades, big names like Facebook, Google, PayPal, eBay are well-recognized localization brands. Even for our international students, when they tell their parents or their friends back home, oh, now they're working for Facebook, it is an instantly recognizable name. So I think... Um, I would say there is a prestige factor at play here. So that's the first one. And secondly, it has to do with compensation. From my observation, generally, client-side roles pay better. It does not mean that the vendor-side organizations appreciate their talent any less than the client-side organizations, but they simply have different business models and, uh, and different kind of margin expectations. And finally, in terms of the perceived power dynamics, Project managers on the vendor side perceive life as project manager on the client side to be easier. Mm 
because they see PMs on the client side giving them directions. I have heard vendor side PMs saying, well, client side PMs boss us around. So I would say that there is a perception that client side PMs wield more power and therefore their lives are easier. So that's kind of the perception that almost drives people more towards, towards the client side. Now, that said, what would you say are then the material benefits of working for a client-side company? We've talked a bit about the perception, but then what would you say are the real reasons why one might consider working on a client-side company? So when you work on the client side, you are exposed to business disciplines of how to meet market share and profitability goals through a product or service that is not a language product. You take ownership of the company's growth goals through localization work. For example, I'm going to use eBay as an example. You know, the product that enables a company to grow is a platform that, I'm going to read from their website now, quote, connect millions of sellers and buyers in more than 190 markets around the world. Our technology empowers our customers, providing everyone the opportunity to grow and thrive no matter who they are or where they are in the world. So notice what I just read, there is no mention of languages or communication, but of course it's implied. So if you work in eBay's localization team, your output is to support the technology and the platform. What you produce is not the company's product per se. You are expected to work with the functions typical in businesses, such as marketing, product, R&D, sales, engineering, and customer support. The business skills that you acquire can be easily transferable within the teams in the same company or outside the company. So you have exposure to, I guess, this wider aspect of business and the industry. Although I guess we would say on, on the converse side, that's almost often say like specific to a very particular industry, like say if you were working localization on eBay, that gives you a lot of exposure to, I guess, e-commerce in general or IT. Now at the same time, perhaps that's even what is another aspect that attracts people to client side. Like we've talked about, of course, the brand recognition, but even I think about like my own experience of first entering into the Institute and well, deciding I wanted to enter localization. It wasn't just in general wanting to work for like a highly recognized company. It was there were specific companies in particular, brands that I cared about, products that I cared about, that I wanted to contribute via localization, but also like try to enter that world via localization. We're talking about uh, uh, lots of people who are drawn to things like video game localization, visual media localization, uh, videos, you know, like, like Hollywood movies. That's a, such a popular uh, subject as well. So I can absolutely understand that on the client side, it would be very attractive as a way to grow within a particular industry. But then at the same time, as I grew older as a localization professional and began to have more experiences in the industry, one of the things I realized was that these brands or these products that I cared so much about, they still were being localized by someone on, on the vendor side. And that there were vendors that specialize in these products. So even if those vendors weren't like famously, say, like known to the general public, they were still the people, uh, you know, like the names at the end of like a credits role who, who worked on these projects. Then actually that brings me into the other side of the topic then. There are perhaps things that 
might attract people to the vendor side as well. Like the potential to really work hands-on with some of these things. So, but what in your opinion then are the benefits of then working with a vendor side company? So I think on the vendor side, your product is the translation and the localization output. In most cases, you work on um, the vendor side, you are exposed to multiple clients, their employees and their platforms and their processes, right? It's a very efficient way of learning the language industry. I was talking with a PM on the vendor side the other day, and she told me that right now, she's working with 24 different companies. That creates a great environment to quickly see how different companies and different managers deal with localization. If you put into the, putting the work to observe and reflect, you can develop some really interesting insights on best practices. So earlier I talked about being exposed to different functions in, in the company. Okay, Now on the vendor side, beyond the production, you can also work yourself to a point where you are exposed to those same functions, but in the language setting. That's a lot of my experience. I started on the production side, and then I got into various functional areas in the language company. I felt that I had the best job in the world because I love languages. But at the same time, I also got to work on very strategic aspects on, on the commercial side. So those are, I would say, the benefits of working on the, on the vendor side. So the vendor side potentially you could say even allows more growth within a particular company, at least in vertical growth, one might say. Like, for example, on the client side, localization is likely to stay within localization. And very and even now, even though like these companies like Facebook, Google are paying more attention to localization, they still don't necessarily have a localization C-suite. Meanwhile, on the vendor side, you have the ability to grow within the company to uh, a very in impactful and, I guess, business-oriented uh, strategic position. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, you have to decide on a daily basis, would you like to be dealing more with e-commerce? Would you like to be dealing with more language-related issues, right? Mm -hmm. There's no right or wrong, good or bad. It's just different. With e-commerce being... Uh, I mean, like, for example, I'm using, I'm using eBay as an example. Uh, yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I guess then, so the client side is you're working almost with a, a specific product from a language perspective. Yeah. And then on the vendor side, you're working with language from many different products' perspectives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so in that case, they are very much so two halves of the same whole. Yeah. That's very good. I think that's a fantastic way to think about it. So far, then, we've talked about generalizations. We've, we've established this generalization of like, what is the vendor side? What is the client side? What are the positives that each has to offer? Um, but of course, uh, companies in any industry, and especially ours, can vary wildly. That said, those of us who are prospective workers, these, generaliza these generalizations that we've been talking about they can be very useful in kind of deciding our specific goals, what we want. But ultimately, do you think it is fair to even, I guess, separate companies into, well, this is vendor side, and so they're like yeah. this, and this is client side, so they're like that. Yeah. I, I mean, it almost sounds like uh, just generalizations about people, although in this case we're talking about companies. Mm -hmm. um, but do you find that these ideas about each of these sides of the industry are accurate? Well, 
I think you have to start from somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Most of us at MIS have a pretty high proficiency level in the second language. So I'm going to use second language acquisition as an example. Okay. okay. When you start learning a language, um, you start with simple words and grammar, right? Uh, and then as you gain proficiency, you start to, to delve into the higher register vocabulary and sentence structure, right? If you want to master a language, the key is understanding that it's a long-term commitment, right? Okay. English is my second language. I've been living in the U.S. for 30 years, but I'm literally still learning daily, right? It's a long-term commitment. You never stop learning, okay? The same goes with your career. The industry would change and you would change, right? So the need to continuously gain insight does not stop after you secure your first language. So I would say it's okay to start with generalization, but keep gaining insight so that you don't stay in that general understanding. Yeah, definitely. So you, you, you could start with a general idea of, well, I prefer this side or that side. Um, but as you grow more, you'll, you'll experience different, uh, different companies. You know, I, I guess we could hardly say the corporate climate of Facebook is the same as the corporate climate of Apple. Um, and even those are both, you know, big tech giants. Um, that, that's, I would say, even within almost like the same realm of influence on the giant monster that we call the client side. I, I, okay, may, maybe monster isn't the term, but you, you know what I mean, like the giant category. That being said then, so both of them have incredible variety. Which one, and perhaps that's almost the spice, you know, they say variety is the spice of life. So maybe almost we want to think about specializing ourselves in the side of an industry that actually allows us to be uh, more generalized, that lets us move around a bit. But in that case then, which side would you say? Well, I think both sides have sufficiently large variations within them. It's Mm. just that they are different variations. Mm-hmm. For example, both client-side and vendor-side organization would have a marketing function, right? Mm. Well, you can argue that marketing is marketing regardless of the product you're promoting. So I think there are two key considerations in this particular discussion. And that is, first of all, it's worthwhile asking yourself whether you're more passionate about working in an environment that is more focused on linguistic and production aspects of localization or if you're more passionate about the business aspects of localization, such as going through the innovation cycle of ideation, prototyping, creation, and commercialization of a product or service with localization as an enabling function, right? Your job title may be localization project manager, but it denotes different roles on the client side and the vendor side. So secondly, it boils down to, are you more interested in business or are you more interested in language operations? With language operations being on the focus of the vendor side and business being the focus of the client side. Mm -hmm. That's right. But that's interesting because that's almost a little bit of an inverse of our earlier discussion where almost in discussion of like where you can grow on each side. So although... I guess, you know, your, your entry-level positions will be very business-focused on the client side and then very language-focused on the vendor side. As you grow in each of those companies, almost the higher, the higher levels of the vendor side then tend to become uh, more strategic and just general mm-hmm. business-focused. As now, at that point, you're actually taking ownership of a product, but that product is the actual um, the product 
that you used to make as, as a localization manager. Now, now as someone higher up, you're now managing that product in a similar way to how a client project manager manages uh, the product that then they're sending to localization. Yeah, you know, that's a very good point. And I think um, my perspective, having worked on the front line to senior roles, I think the higher you go in an organization, the less operational your job is, the more strategic your job is, right? Regardless of client or vendor side, right? Mm. So I think that's the common aspect of both sides. That's fair, because it definitely doesn't become less strategic as you move up the line in the localization position on the client side as well. That's right. With that in mind, then, I guess that this is um, just kind of a question in the spur of the moment, but to someone who then is very passionate about the operations, what then would you suggest is almost the upward path as you, as you move into almost like the, the, the mid-section and maybe also late in your career? Mm-hmm. A lot of um, very influential people in, in the localization industry actually then moving towards uh, becoming advisors, uh, becoming like a localization consultants. Would you say that that's a common path in that case when you really want to remain in the operation side? I think if you want to remain on the operation side, um, there are plenty of different roles you can play on the production side. And I think becoming a consultant, or there there are different flavors of consultants too, right? You can be a consultant that focuses mostly on operations, or you can be a business consultant focusing on business strategies. I don't think going the consulting route is the way to stay in operations. Mm. If you'd like to work in operations, then stay in operations. Move to different roles and perhaps move up the ranks within operations. Yeah, okay, under, understood almost. You, you have a lot more lateral movement, actually. I believe mm-hmm. you, you wrote a blog post uh, to a very similar effect very recently. Uh, anyone, any listeners who are actually uh, interested in reading about that should definitely uh, check out Winnie's blog. Actually, uh, did you want to give it a shout out quickly? Uh, uh, just what is like the name of the blog and kind of what you talk about? Which blog are you talking about? I, have some, uh, I, I don't know which one you're referring uh, to. The, the blog that I've, uh, that I've read and edited posts for in the past. So, if you are interested in my blog, uh, you go to mis.edu and then TI Careers, and you'll find it. All right. So, everyone, that's where you can go to if you also just want more information in general. Uh, Winnie has a lot of fantastic advice for just students, but also just professionals in the industry at large. And so that's a great resource to you. Now it's time for a quick break from our show. Love Roar? Want to learn more about the localization industry? Well, we've got something for you. Roar is producing its own magazine containing articles for both those in the know about localization and those looking to get their feet wet in the topic. Find out more at roar.plmcreate.net. Now, back to the show. I'm sorry, I kind of sprung that on you uh, <laughs> in this for the moment. I thought, wow, this is just like a topic from Winnie's blog. Let's return to the, to the topic in general. We were discussing then, I guess, variation. 
And but and then also uh, we were discussing, I guess, uh, operations and the different kind of roles that one can play mm-hmm. in uh, in a lo- in the localization field. One more thing I wanted to add on our general discussion of variation was, I guess, address the concept of the size of a company, because that can have you know a huge impact on, I guess, cor- corporate culture and experience. You know, I've I've even like read Glassdoor reviews being like, yeah, it has a great culture, but like like but big company culture is definitely starting to take root. So it's like, what do people mean by that? How does that affect a company? How does that affect your experience of a company? Mm-hmm. And how might that actually experience? the very details of the role that you're performing while working for an organization. Yeah, yeah. So I think size does matter. I work with companies that are very small and I work with those giant companies, right? So I think when when we talk about this topic, I like it to create a mental picture of a seesaw, okay? No matter what size the organization is, you're always trying to balance between two things, structure and agility, okay? Um, in general, for an organization to be able to grow into a large organization, it would have developed more structure than a small organization. The benefit of having structure is that the structure gives you discipline and minimizes chaos. But at the same time, structure can also impede your agility. Smaller organizations have the opposite type of challenges. You can feel like you're doing crisis management constantly because of lack of structure. But it tends to be more flexible environment and it can make you feel that you can be more creative. Um, So people are different in their willingness and ability to tolerate ambiguity. I think it's important to understand your own level of tolerance for ambiguity and honestly assess the organization you're looking at to see if it is too structured or too chaotic for your personal taste. And finally, also remember your view or need for structure or agility may evolve as you mature in your career. It's important to monitor yourself and perhaps choose different types of organizations as you go. Yeah. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Actually, I think that's a great thing to consider. And I think it, it's a thing that um, I feel like people perhaps not um, not always think about or address when they're considering mm-hmm. uh, companies they want to work for. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, I guess in general, you know, we, we also talked about like brand recognition. Of course, the largest ones have the same brand recognition. But a lot of you know, people have different work styles. A lot of people yeah. like process. A lot of people like structure. A lot of people like building processes. And then other people are people who want to solve problems as they come. And to others, that would be stressful. Um, yeah. You know, I can give you an example. Like, mm-hmm. say, for example, we have alumni working for big and small organizations, right? So if you work for a small organization and I contact you to say, hey, Andrew, I heard you, you know, landed this cool job. May I interview you and talk about your experience landing this job, right? Mm-hmm. Most of the time you say, sure, let's talk. And, you know, I just write a blog and it's done, right? But boy, if I contact somebody in the big organization to say, may I interview you? They will have to go through their PR and may or may not get approval, right? So, and, and for good reasons, they, you know, the, the companies have to um, manage and monitor and control uh, you know, um, what their employees present in, in, in public, right? So it's not good or bad. It's just that bigger the organization, the more control there tends to be. 
Yeah, that, that's definitely a fair, and that's a good thing for people to consider. Yeah. All right. Now that then um, we've discussed uh, kind of uh, all of these different considerations, the variation that just naturally exists within companies, and we've also discussed uh, the benefits and both the perceived reasons and then also perhaps the true reasons why people might want to consider a vendor side or a client side position. Now let's, of course, compare the drawbacks. Every single, um, I would say almost every, every side of the industry, but also almost, almost every single job will have its drawbacks. You know, a job is uh, a beach all the time. Or if it was a beach, mm -hmm. that might even be a drawback to someone who would prefer a challenge. Mm. So, and again, then I guess addressing the fact that drawbacks are very personal. But yeah. going now back to generalizations, what would you say are the general, perhaps the drawbacks and the challenges that people might consider when referring to either the vendor side or the client side. And we can, we can discuss one at a time, but I kind of want to present it as like yeah. one question just so that uh, neither side, if they're listening, if, you know, if someone representing each uh, one co company from one side or the other listening in, I don't want anyone to feel like I'm singling them out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I have always said this, okay. Why would employers pay us, right? The answer is to solve their problems, right? If there were no problems, we're not needed, okay? So to be clear, project managers on both client side and the vendor side are there to increase revenue, increase customer satisfaction, and reduce cost, right? Innovation and problem solving are expected on both sides. It's just that you're innovating and problem solving different things on both these types of organizations. Um, if I were to use a sports analogy, I would say you need to exercise your muscles, but just different ones depending on the sport, okay? So on the client side, you are managing translation and localization as a tool to fulfilling the organization's mission. Um, if your true interest is to do linguistic work, you probably won't get a lot of opportunities to do so on the client side. Um, I also think you are exposed to more business risks than working on the vendor side. For example, if you are a PM on the client side and part of your role is to choose the languages to localize, right? it will clearly require a lot of research and analysis to make that decision. If you make the wrong call and the business objective is not achieved, there are real consequences. Right? It's not just a shrug and just moving on. Okay? It affects your evaluation in your career. So that's a risk. Right? You have to go into it with your eyes open. Right? During one of my jobs, my boss, whenever I had a key you know, business case, my boss would pressure test me. At the end, you would always ask me, would you bet your job on it? Right? Okay? So something to think about. Right? Mm -hmm. On the vendor side, you may feel like you are cranking out deliverables all day long, but you don't have clear visibility of how your product is tied to, say, the business growth of your client, right? You could feel like a cock in the wheel and feel a bit disconnected. But I would also balance this by going back to the previous point I made about taking on business risks on the client side. It may look exciting and fun to own selection of languages to localize, but remember, it comes with accountability and therefore risks. So I, I guess the, the, the downside is definitely almost 
a risk on one side, and very much so kind of, uh, it, it almost feels bad to say, but like a feeling of almost less impact on, on, on the other. So I guess that's a good way to look, to look at it. If you want to have impact, you have to be willing to take the risks. Mm. And I think that could actually, and that could very well apply to either side as well. Yes. Definitely. Yes. Because, I mean, definitely, I, I, perhaps that even then connects into our discussion of big companies versus small company. Like, say, perhaps if you're working for a large localization vendor, things will be very, you know, structured. And so you, you put every single project through the same process. And, but that's very structured. It's very low risk. Um, however, if you're, say, working on a small one that, like, takes the custom orders from clients and, like, big projects, you are the one deciding, like, you're the one creating the documents that determines, you know, a style and tone. Maybe you're even making direct linguistic decisions of this is a particularly uh, tough um, translation, this is a particularly tough sentence, how, how, uh, what's the proper direction for the translators to take. And that, in turn, will come with more risk once you're taking that much ownership and control over that project, because if it doesn't turn out well, the client will be mad and someone has to answer for that. So we, we've discussed uh, the, now also the drawbacks, uh, we've addressed variation, and we've also talked about the, the benefit. I would like to wrap all of this together. So overall, whether it be client side, vendor side, big or small, what do you think are the most important things for a young professional or an experienced professional, for that matter, in this job market, in localization, to consider. How do they? How do you determine? What are the most important questions to ask to determine? Is this role? Is this company a good fit for me? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so I will break it down to several different aspects. The first one is know the landscape. Um, I think the first step is to ask the kind of questions that you have asked today. Try to understand the differences in the environment and expectations. Second, know thyself. Figure out the type of work you want to do. Acknowledge that your needs and wants may evolve as your career progresses, and it is important to adjust. Next, know that grass indeed is perceived to be greener on the other side. Okay. Whether you choose to stay on this side or venture into the other side, know that there are always pros and cons on both sides. The key is to maximize the return on investment of your time. And finally, remember that your first job out of grad school does not define you. And in fact, your jobs do not define you, period. Okay. Always give 100% to whatever your job is now don't let what you perceive to be the more favorable working conditions on the other side to become your excuse to not be a stellar performer. Because if you do that, that is truly what's going to limit you. If you build a reputation of turning everything you touch into gold, you will go far regardless of which path you choose. And that's it. I think that's fantastic advice. I feel... I almost feel like that that directly addresses even some of the concerns and things I've spoken to you uh, throughout my time at the Institute so far. And I imagine the same concerns that other students have approached you as well. 
I just want to end by saying thank you so much, Winnie. I feel like this has been a fantastic conversation and a really, a, a really good one, a really useful one that will again help uh, help us, help the listeners, help students kind of self-reflect and find uh, the correct path for them. You are welcome, and good luck to you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Roar. A podcast dedicated to voices from the localization industry. Once again, this has been brought to you by translation and localization management students from the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey. We hope you enjoy today's deep dive.